Well, amen. With uh, chapter number 13, we've come to an incredible um, uh, series of chapters that happen to be in the Gospel of John that really chronicle not only the um, uh, what we would say the last days of the Lord, but, uh, but, but the last hours before, before his arrest, and he's going to be taken from there, he's going to be tried, he's going to be beaten, and the next day he's going to be crucified. And what we have here is a series of chapters where we have, again, a real intimate portrait of what happens beginning in, in the Savior's heart and his care and love for those who he truly um, uh, cared for. And, and it's amazing to look at this because in this passage of Scripture that we've been looking at for the last several weeks, we see the washing of the disciples' feet. And through it, again, we see no one, again, ever was so humble as the Lord Jesus Christ. We realize his greatness. We realize his superiority. We realize that there's no one higher than Jesus. And as we look at Jesus as far as being believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we realize that no one's higher. You know, we have great thoughts. We have great intimations about the Lord Jesus. We realize that he's worthy of worship. We realize beyond a shadow of a doubt he is the great I am. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the good shepherd. He is the lion. He is the lamb. You know, he is God in human flesh. He's the great word. And so we have these great thoughts about Jesus Christ. And every single Sunday that we meet together, we meet together to worship, to praise, to honor, to sing, to laud this one who is worthy of all glory. And we realize that. You know, but I do think that there's one area that happened to be in our lives as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ where many times I think we're deficient as far as believers. And that is, again, looking at his humanity, looking, again, that he is a great example that is set before each one of us in how we are to live and how we are to function. And the reason why I say it's a great uh, detriment or, or it's lost on us m many times today is because we're so self-centered. You know, again, everything about life is about us. Everything is about my wants, my desires, what I want that happens to begin in life. You know, in fact, if you look at the, uh, the greatest model of church uh, growth today, it is around that model. You know, if you wanted to plant a church in a certain area that happens to be, again, of Windsor, you would go in that, with the, that area and you would, you would ask the first question, what kind of people do I want to get in the church? You know, what is the target group? You know, and usually in, ch in uh, church growth, it happens to be those that happen to be in their 20s, those that happen to be in 30s, and those who happen to be, again, professional. Those are the people that we want to get. If we get those people, they'll stay a long time, they'll, they'll, they'll be givers, and everybody else, you know, and all the other j age groups will jump on board. So we ask the question, what do they want? What do they expect in a church? You know, what kind of programs? What kind of music genre will they like? Will it draw them? You know, what are they passionate about? Are they passionate about politics? Are they passionate about good works in the community? You know, what are they passionate? What kind of programs can we give them? You know, and we look and we say, again, uh, can, can we offer these things to these people in the, in the, in, in the uh, biblical parameters? And if the answer is yes, then we go ahead and do it. And, he, and here's the thing. You know, we have to ask ourselves, what's wrong with that model? And the thing that's wrong with that model is what you end up is with is more of a country club. I mean, why do you join a country club? Why do you join any club? The reason why you join any club is because you want to get something. You know, there's some sort of service. There's something that belongs to you. 
You know, when we look at discipleship, when we look at being followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are to follow Christ. And one of the greatest ways that we follow him is through humble, loving service of others. Otherwise, it's not about us. It's about Christ. It is about others. And you can certainly see this in this passage of Scripture, again, that details the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, this would be lost on so many different congregations that they ought to follow the example of Lord Jesus Christ and humbly serve those that happen to begin around us. You know, and I, I do believe that all of us want to be people of influence. You know, all of us want to have an impact on the lives of other people uh, in even society, when, when you look at society that happens to be around us, and many people ask, how can I have an impact on society that happens to be around us? And I think a lot of people dream of being great, of being, again, uh, somebody that happens to be out there. If I had a whole bunch of money, if I happen to be a Bill Gates, if I happen to be a Warren Buffett, then I could be a mover and shaker. You know, a lot of people dream about maybe being, I don't know, some sort of entertainer or some sort of of uh, sports personality, then, I, then it could have clout. But I want you to think of, of your life as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and ask yourself this question. Who has had the biggest impact on my life? You know, what, what kind of an individual? Maybe it was one individual. Maybe it was a number, uh, a number of various different individuals. But who had the greatest spiritual impact in me following the Lord Jesus Christ in my life? And what, what you're going to find is, is the, the person who's had that biggest impact was a humble servant, a loving servant of Jesus Christ that entered your life, that maybe discipled you, that maybe took you through, again, a difficult period that happened to begin in your life. But that person had the biggest impact. And when we look at our own lives, the question we have to ask ourselves, am I that type of individual? Am I following the example of the Lord Jesus Christ and truly loving others, whether they deserve it or not, in our humble service to one another? Well, I want to take a few moments and really look at that in this passage of Scripture. I hope it will uh, um, uh, be um, uh, educational and challenging to you, edifying to you, you know, because Jesus really wants us to be involved in self-forgetfulness so much so that we concentrate on the spiritual welfare of those that happen to be around us. So Jesus wants us to realize the spiritual example that, he's, that, that, he, that he just gave. You know, and you can see that in verses 12 and following in our passage. You know, after he washes his disciples' feet, we read in verse number 12, he says, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place. You know, so you have to think of it. You know, here, here they are all gathered around this low-lying table. Here, here they're all reclining. And he gets up from the table to wash their feet. He gets up to perform this, this service. Now he's put, put on his outer garment and, uh, and gone, to, gone to his place. And he said to them, and here it is, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. And it's amazing, isn't it? Because the first thing he asks, again, is, do you understand this? You know, and I think this is where we go wrong, because I think a lot of times we have really good theology, especially, again, at this church. And we teach theology, we teach the Bible, we teach, again, what we ought to believe, what we ought to house in our minds and in our hearts. But I think a lot of times what we have a hard time is, is taking our theology, taking a passage of Scripture, and seeing how it intersects with my life. 
you know, seeing how I should be different in the here and now. I think that's one of the most difficult part is applying the word of God. You know, here it is. We work hard at understanding, understanding, understanding. That's absolutely necessary. But I think one of the hardest part is to see now how does my life change? You know, what do I need to change? What sins do I see? What patterns of belief do I need to change to have it begin in my life? And I wonder, as we go through the washing of the disciples' feet, do we see what needs to change in our life? Have we made it intersect with our own life that we are challenged, again, with what the Lord Jesus Christ has done? Do you understand what Jesus has just said? And you might say, yeah, Pastor, I get it. You know, we, we went over last time that this is a great example that Lord Jesus Christ gives us. And it's a very great illustration of the greater humility of the Lord Jesus. Jesus, again, washes the disciples' feet. You know, Peter protests, but, and, and Peter says, not mine. But we realize the example is of this great coming humility of the Lord Jesus, where he will be voluntarily lay his life down as that perfect sacrifice for sin. And therefore... You know, we have to humble our own hearts and trust in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. And if that's what you got out of it, if that's what you say, the whole meaning, again, of Jesus washing his feet, let me say you do well, but you don't go far enough. Because not only, again, does this teach us about the cross and what Jesus Christ has done on the cross and our need to trust in him, what Jesus does here is lay an example for us. You know, how we ought to serve, how we ought to think, how we ought to comprehend, how we ought to love one another and truly seek to be a blessing to those that happen to begin around us. You know, and one of the things that I forget, I think we forget many times, is Jesus was human. Let me just say that again. We know he's God, right? But I think many times we forget that he is human, and he came to live that human life. And when we say that he lived that human life, he didn't cheat. It didn't all, all of a sudden, you know, he, he, here's my godness. Now I'm going to put on my godness so I can do everything that is right. No, he had to live a perfect human life with all of the trials, with all of the temptations that we go through. He had to live that life. You know, and as you look at the humanity of Jesus, what do we see? We see the two great commandments, don't we? We see him love the Father God. We see him love him with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his mind. And then the second great commandment happens to be, again, loving your neighbor as yourself. And that's really an overflow, isn't it? The reason why he's able to love imperfect and sinful people is because of his great love that happens to be for the God that happens to be above. And you can see this in, in the life of Christ. One of the things I've really enjoyed over this last year is I've looked at the emotional life of Jesus. And it's absolutely fascinating because God is an emotional God. And we realize being made in his image, part of our humanity is that we have emotions. You know, and when you look at our emotions, it really te teaches us a lot about our hearts. And you can see this with, uh, with uh, Jesus. You, you know, we looked at it several months ago, but when Jesus comes before the uh, grave of Lazarus, you know, we read that verse that Jesus wept. You know, he's overwhelmed with the sorrow. And why is he overwhelmed with the sorrow? Because he loves these people. And because he loves these people, even though he knows that he's going to re resurrect Lazarus, he loves Lazarus, he loves Martha, he loves, again, Mary so much in his heart. When he sees them grieving, he enters into that grief that happens to be again with them. That's what love does. That's the appropriate response. 
You know, but the amazing thing about the emotional life of Jesus, and think of it as humanity. Think again why he does what he does. Here's his emotional life. Here's what's going on inside of him. You know, he even loved his enemies. I find that absolutely incredible. You know, we certainly see it on the cross when he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. But there's this touching scene when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem for the final time. And he looks over Jerusalem and he has his lament. I mean, it's a true lament. And you have to realize who, who it's about. It's about the citizens of Jerusalem. In particular, it's about the religious leaders that happen to be in Jerusalem. You know, in Matthew chapter 23 and verse number 37, it records that. It says, oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem. And listen to what he says, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. And then he says this, how often, think, think of the heart here, how often would I have gathered you as children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you are not willing. You know, and there's a love there, isn't there? There's a compassion. Even though you've stood against me, if you would have humbled your heart, I would have brought you in. I want to bring you in. You know, there's a glory there, and we ask ourselves many times, where do these deep thoughts, this deep love of Jesus Christ come? You know, even for his disciples, who he knows beyond a shadow of a doubt, all of them, every single one of them are going to fail him that night. And we ask again, where does this love come from? And his love comes from his vertical love for God. When we love God with all of our heart, when we're growing in our love for the Lord Jesus Christ, the overflow of that love happens to be, again, love for other people, right? We can't have one without the other. Both of them happen to be connected together, you know, and that's what leads him to say in verse number 13, he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right. In other words, I am teacher. You know, I am the teacher. I am the Lord, because he says, for so I am. You know, in the, in the, in the, whole point that happens to begin right there is that society was much like our society. When you look at the great people that happen to begin around us, right? When you look at great business owners, when you look at great athletes, when you look at great entertainers, they have a whole slew of people that happen to be below them, and their whole duty is to serve them. And yet he says, here, here am I. I'm the teacher. I'm the Lord. I am the creator God. And what do we have in this passage of Scripture? This is what's so fascinating about this passage of Scripture, is you have the exact opposite. And think about it, because this is what we say. I want to be transformed. I want to be conformed more and more into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think a lot of times we think it's just about moral living. But what does it mean to be transformed more and more into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ? And it's right here. There's a submissive humble love to the Lord Jesus Christ that takes place, uh, that uh, takes place as we serve others that happen to begin around us. And this is what he says, you know, in verses 14 and 15. He says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. And it's incredible look at that, right? You know, we pointed out this last time. This is not a ritualistic carrying out of this command. You know, every Thursday before Good Friday, we're going to gather here, you know, and make sure you wash your feet beforehand because we're going to take off our socks and we're going to wash one another's feet and therefore carry out the command of Christ and put a check mark that happens to be on there. That's not what he's talking about right here. 
He's giving an example of how to be a blessing, how to love people, even people who fail us. Isn't it? You know, because the whole principle, here is the... Here, here it is. Here's the example. But the whole principle, again, it happens to be over in Philippians chapter 2. And listen to what it says. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. That's us. We want to do th- things because it's all about us. We're conceited. We're proud. But this is what he says. But in humility, count others more significant than, your, than yourselves. Let each of you look not on his own interests. That's what we want to do. But the interests of others. And then he says this. Have this mind among yourselves which was in Christ Jesus. And when we say the mind of Christ Jesus, when we look at that whole principle of what we are to have, this is flesh and bones right here. This is what Jesus Christ is doing. Here he comes, and he happens to be the servant of servants, but not only the servant of servants, but a loving servant who cares about others who happen to begin right there. You know, and think how different this whole scene would have been if the disciples came and they came with the mind of Christ. They came with humility. They didn't come out with puffed up chest, you know, conceited, thinking about themselves. But what if they came with this mind of Christ that they didn't see themselves as superior to others? They didn't see that others were supposed to be serving them, but they came. And each one of them looked at that wash basin as as an opportunity to be a blessing to one another. You know, think, think how it would have played out so differently. They all would have taken turns washing one another's feet, you know, saying pleasantries, glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ, glorifying the great God that happened to be again above. It would have been so different. And I wonder if we could think even of our own church, how our own church or our own assembly would be different. You know, when we ask for various different volunteers you know, whether it happens to be in the nursery, whether it happens to be Sunday school teachers, whether it happens to be on a cleaning schedule that nobody sees, whether it happens to be, again, tidying up after fellowships, whether it happens to be working in the sight and sound, whatever it happens to be, you know, we have an opportunity to serve other people. Just think, if we had this attitude, this mind of, of uh, Jesus Christ, just think, again, of how many servants we would have that happen to be, again, right here. You know, there's certain things we're willing to do. There's certain things we're not willing to do. You know, in washing the disciple, washing people's feet, scrubbing floors, cleaning up, changing babies. That's, that's, that's not what I want to do. You know, and, and you know, I, I guess I want to be careful. I get very uh, tired and... and and a little tedious of people who say, you know, Pastor, if you hear of a need, you know, I'm there to meet it. And praise God for that attitude. But what you have to realize is Jesus is not meeting a need. Let me say that again. Jesus is not meeting a need. They're already all sitting down. You know, nobody would humble their hearts enough to wash one another's feet. So let me tell you, it's going to be more pleasant now. But he does this to be a blessing to them. You know, and I wonder how often we look around and say, yeah, yeah, there's other people to fill that road. Yeah, 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 somebody else can befriend him. Yeah, yeah, I can get involved over here, but I'm going to let no, I'm not, I'm not going to bother. We have to realize beyond a shadow of a doubt, if Christ has touched us so significantly, so much so that we have a love for him, we're going to look for opportunities to be a blessing to other people. 
We're going to look for opportunities to follow the example of Jesus Christ, right? It's not just dry theology. It's living theology because we have this living love for this Lord and Savior who happens to be again above. You know, that's where it intersects to happen to begin in our life, that we are to follow this example. And let me just say, secondly, you know, when you look at the, this humble life that we're called to, the happy life is the humble life, or the humble life is the happy life. You know, I, I hope I don't sound too trite in saying that. But look at what he says in verse number 16 and 17. You know, he says again in verse number 16, he says, Truly, truly, otherwise pay attention to this because you will miss it very easily. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, and then he says this, blessed are you if you do them. You know, blessed just means this. It doesn't mean all this favor comes to me, all of these good things come to me. That's not what he's talking about right here. But what he's talking about is being in a state of blessing, a state of joy, a state of rejoicing. Here it is, a state, again, of happiness. And I really do believe it, not only in Christianity, but I think, again, all of life is a quest for satisfaction, a quest for happiness. You know, and the question is not whether we're on that quest. The question, the question is, where am I looking for that joy, for that satisfaction, for that meaning that happens begin in life? And I think so often it's in the creation that happens begin around us. You know, have we believed um, the lie of materialism? You know, the lie of materialism is basically it. You know, if you win the lotto, guess what? You've got life, right? Right, right. If you all of a sudden have all of the materialistic things that happen at the beginning of life, that's where a life of joy is. You know, and here's a, here's a lie of materialism because when you buy something, and and this this is this is what we know physiolo, physiological. There, there, I can get that word out. Physiological. There's a response that happens to begin in us. You know, if you've ever bought a car, if you've ever bought, made a big purchase, if you've ever bought an iPad or an iPod or an Apple Watch or something like that, there's these endorphins that fire off inside of us, and it makes us feel good. They're called pleasure centers. You know, and they fire off, and we feel good about that. And people get in love with that feeling. The only problem is what happens with the endorphins. They end up going down, and guess what, what I need? I need to make another purchase. I need to make another purchase, and I need to make another purchase. And here's the thing about creation. It doesn't matter how much of it you have. It can never sustain you and give you that joy and satisfaction. You know, and here's the thing, and I think in the church many times, where are we looking for joy and satisfaction? Is it in Jesus Christ? Is it in being a servant of all? And even in leadership, it can be a bit trickier. Because in leadership, many times we might strive to be a leader. We think, again, we'd really be good at it. We think, again, we have all of the talents, all of the ability, all of the Christianity. We have, again, the maturity. And we should be leaders in the church of Jesus Christ. Look at who I am. We strive for those things. You know who I think the best leaders are? You know, and I've asked a number of men over the years if they would serve in leadership, they would serve as deacons. And I think the best de uh, deacons, the best pastors, the best elders, whatever title you would like to give them, I think the best ones are the ones who are absolutely floored that you would ask them. They're the best ones. You know, and it's not that they have some big deficiency that happens to be, again, in their life, that as we go through, again, uh, the pastoral epistles, we can see these things that happen to be against, uh, against them. No, 
The reason why they say that is they realize their own heart before God. And they're humbled at the grace of God that happens to be in their life. But they make the greatest leaders. And you know why? It's not about them. It's not about them looking down, hovering over other people. But it's about them serving other people that they might see Christ. And they count it a privilege. And they do it with a loving heart. And let me say, those are the greatest leaders that we have. We call them servant leaders, don't we? You know, in the church of Lord Jesus Christ. And this is Jesus' whole point in John chapter 13, verse number 16. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, and here's the, here's the principle, a servant is not greater than his master, nor the messenger greater than the one who sent him. And notice, again, Jesus is saying, why, why have I done this? Why is this an example for you? You know, what's the whole point? Now, here's the principle that I want you to see. You are not greater than other people. You are not greater than your enemies. You are not greater than the others that happen to begin around you, right? And he uses this example because it's so great, because I think the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ is the great equalizer in life, isn't it? Because it says beyond a shadow of doubt, no matter who I happen to be, that I deserve a Christless eternity. I deserve a a life in hell, in the hellfires, in the great lake of fire for all of eternity because of how I treated God. You know, and I'm no better than this sinner. I'm no, no more worthy of this sinner. I'm no more worthy than him. And I'm no better than that person that happens to be getting right there. It's the great equalizer. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is a great equalizer. It doesn't matter who you are. And so he goes over in the last couple of verses all of these various different roles, right? And he takes off, and here it is, a teacher-student. Here it is, a master slave. Here it is, one who sends out and one who is set. And what we would say, the one who is lesser value happens to be again right here. And that's not what he said. He says, no one is above any other. You have to realize who you are in Jesus Christ. You have to realize who we are before this holy God. And I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt, that the cross is a great equalizer. You know, it really gives us an identity. If I have my identity in something else, and that's what we're always trying to do, trying to find identity, trying to find superiority, trying to find why I am better than other people that happen to be getting around us. But if our identity is in the cross, let me tell you, it's going to humble us. It's going to humble us so much so that it's going to cause us to love people in a certain way, love people that we wouldn't love, and also serve them for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. D.A. Carson, in his commentary, quotes a poem by Brian Wren, and it goes like this. Great God, in Christ you call our name, and then receive us as your own, not through some merit, right, or claim, but by your gracious love alone. We strain to glimpse your mercy seat and find you kneeling at our feet. Then take the towel and break the bread and humble us and call us friends. Suffer and serve till all are fed and show how grandly love intends to work till all creation sings, to fill our worlds, to crown all things. And that's a great love of our Savior. You know, and he rounds again this whole teaching section off in verse number 17 where he says this, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now think about it. 
Because he says, if you know, right? right? He says, there's a blessing. There's a blessing that happens to be over here. We can be in a state of blessing, regardless who we are, a state of contentment, that God is our God. We can be in that blessed state. But here it is. There's an if clause, isn't there? There's a conditional clause. And the conditional clause is basically this, if you know these things. Now, the first thing we should ask when we, we hear that, if you know these things, what are these things? And these things are basically what? That a master is not above a slave, right? A servant, again, is not, again, below his master. You know, uh, blessed are you do, if you do these things. When he talks about, again, these things, he's talking about the example that he has set. If you go out and do this, you will be blessed. Now, think about that. Because I'm going to come back. Here we come. We're going to come back to where we started with. Because I think there's a lot of people here tonight, you know, and we're all guilty of it that would say yea and amen. We are blessed if we follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we walk out. And how do we walk out? Not applying the truth, right? right? We know the theology, but we haven't applied it. And think of it. If you ask Peter, if you ask James, if you ask John, what did Jesus Christ just teach on? They would be able to tell you exactly what Jesus just taught on. And they and they will go in the garden and they would be puffed. And here they are going to be puffed up with their own importance, with their own strength. And while Jesus struggles in prayer, they're going to be sleeping. If you ask Judas, what did Jesus just teach? Guess what? He's going to say, this is what he just taught. And what's going to take place? He's going to go out with his chest stuck out and betray the Lord Jesus Christ. And I wonder, you know, if we know these things, you know, do they really impact our lives? Uh, because there is a blessing in these things, because he says, blessed are you if you do them, right? Right? In other words, that's the idea of blessed, happy. You know, I'm not striving for position. If I'm not striving for position, then I can serve other people. And it's not demeaning. It's a privilege to really enter into the lives of others. You know, and so often we say that we love Christ, we're growing in our love for the Lord Jesus Christ, but how do we know that we are growing in our love for Jesus Christ? And he tells us a little later. You know, in John chapter 14 and verse number 15, he says, if you love me, guess what you're going to do? You're going to do what? You're going to what? You're going to keep my commandments. Well, just think. He's just giving, a, giving us a command, hasn't he? He's just given us, as I have done to you, so you do to one another. And I wonder if we could see that change in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ because we see this in our life. Remember how he starts off these two verses? Truly, truly. And the reason why he starts off these verses this way is because we don't get it. We hear, but we don't hear. And you know why? Much of our Christianity, much of even, even church growth happens to be, again, this. Blessed are those who will always, whose will is always done. Blessed is those who are always served rather than served. Blessed is when everyone exists for me. You know, and we believe that. 
And let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, as we look at the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, the most satisfying, the most joyous life that we could live is patterning our lives after the perfect humanity of the Lord Jesus because the perfect humanity is everything that we are meant to be. The call is to follow him. Hear his word. Really hear his word and follow him. Let's bow our hearts in a moment of prayer. Father, oh God, when we look at this, when we look at self-serving Christianity, when we look at modern Christianity, Lord, so often it's about us. It's about, so often it's about life, uh, making life work the way I want rather than us existing for the spiritual welfare of others that happen to be around us and seeking to be a blessing that others might see Jesus Christ and revel in him. I just pray, Lord, that you would deliver us out of that mindset, that we would truly be conformed into the image of the servant of servants, the one who loved passionately, Lord, you, but the one who also loved others. God, we thank you for his example. Just be with us as we go to our song service now. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Pastor.